Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. I'm doing well. How are you? Long time no see. Right. I like the uh, blue background there. You're very matchy-matchy today. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> this is my uh, this is my new The National shirt, which I've been so excited about that uh, I've been wearing it several times a week. So <laughs> very cool. Well, welcome to TPQ20. Uh, you've been, you know, kind of a, an on and off part of the poetry question for a while now. So I feel mm-hmm. like I know who you are. But as we always say, uh, we know who you are, but our audience might be new to you. So if you were to kind of give the bio that's not on your website, we couldn't find on the back of a book, who are you? Well, I'm a proud orchid father of 11. (laughs) I read tarot cards. I'm gay. I write poetry and fiction and sometimes screenplays. I live in Los Angeles with my best friend. I read a lot. And uh, I love my friends. Love it. I think that's a perfect declarative uh, bio there. Um, so you do live in a lot of different genres. Um, and I know I know you really, I can tell from the smile on your face, you enjoy that as well. I know it drives you crazy sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, uh, um, there obviously are some deep passions that lie outside of the writing part of you. So what are you passionate about? Like, what, do you, what is the outside world for you uh, when you're not sitting down and worrying about writing? And what of that bleeds into your writing? Okay, this is a good question. I actually, last year, um, there's a tarot card called The Sun. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but kind of the message behind it is enjoy this beautiful life. And I kept pulling it. Um, and I think it was because I was so focused on writing literally all the time and working all the time. I know that you and I talked a lot about this last year where I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. Right. Because when you're in multiple genres, there's multiple deadlines and multiple pieces that need to be written and multiple things to edit as well. Fiction friends, poetry friends. So the things for me, like I think about that card about the sun and and enjoying this beautiful life. And I also think about this quote that my roommate and I always talk about, which is like, if there were no one else alive ever anymore, would you still wake up and go to the studio? And this quote is about acting, but I put that towards like, what are the things that I'm like, I would still wake up and go to the studio. They have nothing to do with anyone else. There's still something I'd like to do. My answer for that honestly is like board games and card games (laughs) and playing pool. Like when I'm like, I need to have fun and I need to stop working. I'm like, okay, who's going to play cards with me? Or like sometimes a video game, definitely reading. Reading is like, I know a lot of writers will tell you like you have to be reading and I agree. Um, But it's also just a, a thing that I've always done and a thing that really brings me back to myself. Uh, Tarot as well. Definitely my, my orchids. I love plants. I have a lot of plants Um, going for walks. I go for probably too many walks in a day. Like I I think like usually an average of one to three walks a day, just like, I'll just be like, I can't sit still anymore. I also work from home. So that's part of it. It's like, I can't sit in the same spot and be on my computer all day. Uh, so like walking and listening to music with my headphones, like uh, my over the ear, don't talk to me headphones are. Yeah, yeah. I, I wear these 70s Phillips cans wherever I go. 
It's perfect. Uh, so yeah, those are uh, the things that sort of take up my passions outside of work. All right. So then uh, let's see, favorite board game, because we're, we're just going to start with some of these. So what are, what are the go-to board games? Mysterium. Have Ooh, you played? I have not. But tell it's me like, me. it's like scarier clue. It's like more interesting clue. There's yeah. someone who's a ghost okay. and they send you visions to give you clues as to who the, the mur- what the murder weapon was, where it was and who the murderer was. And I love being the ghost because I never shut the fuck up. And so like, <laughs> when I, when I play that game, I'm like quiet and I'm sending these vision cards and it's like a side of me where I'm like, I'm not talking. I'm just in here figuring out what to do. Oh, I love this. Um, there's also this game called Boss Monster that I've been playing with my best friend. We have that here. You have? Yeah. It's so good, right? It's, I bought it for somebody a few years ago as a, as a birthday present and never gave it to them. So oh, it is, and I'm it is glad you didn't. family favorite. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, uh, Orchids, what got you into your love of orchids uh, and gardening and plants? Or is it, is it just tabletop plants that you love and uh, work to keep alive? Uh, you know, so when I moved to LA, I, for the next like two months, every day I woke up and I was like, I just made the greatest mistake of my life. <laughs> and I was like, okay. cause I moved here. I have a poem about it, but I moved here like in the middle of the pandemic with like 44,000 cases in Los Angeles. I have asthma, by the way, I didn't have a job lined up and I had never even been here and I just moved. <laughs> Um, and so I'm not, uh, I will say that I do take risks, but I, and I take chances, but I'm not usually a completely fuck it person. I usually think about things very critically before I do them. Um, so I said, YOLO, fuck it. And I would wake up and be like, oh my God, what have I done? And sort of every time I got unbearably sad, I would go buy an orchid. So that's kind of why I have 11 of them. Uh, but yeah, also you know, that's, that's not bad for moving to the pan for moving in the middle of the pandemic and only being sad 11 times. Well, you know, it's pretty good. That's a pretty good track record. It would be sort of like here, have a little treat since you like are having daily panic attacks. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I came to, I came to understand them. I feel very connected to them. People, people say they're like a problematic plant, like they're hard to take care of, but actually with just a little bit of light reading and just a couple of tips, it's really, it's not that hard to take care of them, honestly. And um, yeah, I just, I love them when they're blooming and when they're not blooming, they bloom twice a year and they usually all bloom at once because they're kind of in the same conditions. So uh, yeah, they're just, I just feel very connected to them. I also have a lot of other noteworthy plants. I have a fiddle leaf fig named butter lettuce and we love him. <laughs> um and uh pothos named lavender we love we love her we love uh we love them all equally however the orchids i would say get most of my time and attention i love that i'm not sure our orchids did very well over the last couple of years my uh courtney is really into succulents and uh we, so we have a lot of succulents and we have a lot of carnivorous plants Mm. so it's always always fun over here um mm. all right so you do live in a lot of genres I, knowing you for the last couple of years, I never feel like there's one that necessarily takes precedence over the other. I feel like you just have a love of writing. Um, and as long as you're writing, you're a pretty happy person. How do you live in so many genres? What is kind of, how do you compartmentalize? Or do you find that there's a need to compartmentalize? Do you save certain emotions and, you know, and storylines for script writing versus fiction versus poetry? What's kind of your organizational compartmentalizing process? You know, um, when I was doing playwriting in film, 
I would write silent film. And if something had words in it, I knew it was a play. Mm. Um, and I feel like that has kind of adapted over the years. And now when it comes to poetry and fiction, for me, the poet Kimiko Han says the poem is a portal. And I do believe that the poem can have a storyline. And I do believe that the poem can contain dialogue and character development. However, I sort of see the poem as a portal to a moment or a world. And it's sort of a slice, a slice of the thing. Okay. Whereas a short story for me, um, my fiction is sort of, you know, people, people always tell me like, you never really give us the ending. Uh, so maybe, maybe this is hypocritical of me to say, but the storyline, it, it follows a, it follows a path. Okay. The, the short story for me is a longer walk. And the poem for me is a bite or a morsel or something that's going, it might sit with you for a long time, but it's more of a feeling. And it's more of a portal into something specific. Whereas fiction for me, it, it's a story. And I have a couple of flash fiction pieces that people will be like, that's a prose poem. And I'll be like, perhaps. Have the constant argument between the two. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe. And I, I don't actually think they're very different. I've been told by people they can read my fiction and tell that I'm a poet. And so, you know, I think I think the succinct nature of poetry also helps. It's like, how can I say this in as little words as possible? How can I put this thing that doesn't have words to describe to begin with into as few words as possible? And fiction is like, I get to have fun and be a little bit more long-winded. Right. So do you, what's the, I, I want to go back to the silent film side of things, because that feels like kind of the poetry foundation, uh, silent films, you know, you're given a visual, but you have to really fill in the with, you know, the entire scene with a very short amount of, of text. Mm -hmm. So is that kind of, you know, what, what is the, how do you erase the visual aspect then of writing for a silent film? and move that toward poetry, knowing that you're not going to get the immediate visuals as well? <sighs> well, I think I grow more and more fascinated by film and television because the possibilities are so different from poetry and fiction, it, visually speaking. I think I try to take that element in where if there are visuals, I try to make them as vivid and as real and as depicted as possible without simply describing what people are doing. That's kind of the art of the screenplay too. When you're sitting there and you're straight up just describing what they're doing, it's not as artful. It's not, that's not how a good screenplay works. Right. Um, screenplay is kind of that very flat, uh, like a flat affect of here's what they do. And then you're including, your dialogue creates a storyline, but yeah, the visualization is there for the next person or the next part of things. Right. And and that part, you know, I'm I'm always, I love that part because I think that, I think that with theater, which I'm one of those begrudging theater people who's like, don't ever talk to me about it again. But like, I'll probably like sign a contract for a play like sometime soon. Right. Uh, so what I take from theater and from film into everything that I do is that um, I'm so open to other perspectives and I'm so open to what the next person can do, because I think it makes it makes the poem. It makes the poem. It makes the piece. It makes the screenplay bigger than you particularly in theater, you know, you have like 30 or 50 people working on this play. And though it has the limitations of being on the stage, like all of these people see things in this script that the playwright didn't originally see. In. Right. And in film, the director takes on a huge role in like 
I think that's fantastic. And I'm not afraid of that. So I think that that actually does lend into my poetry as well as like, I usually have three to five editors go through a piece before I put it out into the world. Well, and do you think, I mean, is, is there a, you know, in that, is there a similar process to, you know, to editing a film and editing a poem? I mean, what is the, where's the through line for that? You know, I am not skilled at editing, but I've seen it. Um, and I, uh, at least film wise, I actually, I will say, I do believe I'm skilled at editing poetry wise. I, <laughs> I think you're a skilled editor when it comes to the world of poetry and writing. Yeah. And fiction, but not in terms of film editing, like visuals, like that's a tar- that's the part of the technology that you lose me at. Um, I will say, uh, I think that, you know, there's sort of the through line that I can see is like why it's, I guess I would go with why it's important to have external editors. I think that there are, again, you know, some pe- people are paid just to edit films right? to go through and edit them for a reason, because they're going to see things that you are not going to see. And I, and I think that there's a direct through line into in poetry there. Um, mm-hmm. I firmly believe in workshop. I have a workshop that I've been in for two years called the luminaries. Yep. Uh, we sometimes do free public programming as well, but primarily we are a, uh, a workshop that meets once a month, if not more. I just believe so much in workshop and in very, I have very, very talented editor friends like Dia Roth, Dare Williams, Taylor Bias, Jason B. Crawford. Like, ter- and I, that's a terrible list to have. What, I, you know, what horrible people to try and work with. I'm I like, know. Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, and Etiola Jones, Belinda Meneza, or a satchel. Like, I have the most, uh, they are so fucking talented and kind and um not afraid to tell me what they really think and i think i attribute where my work is right now and who i am as a person to that and to uh working with shira ehrlichman um who like i see as my editing mentor she's never called herself that however i have appointed her as such um because i've learned so much from her and from watching her edit so it's because of my friends and very talented poets uh in my life and shira that i feel like uh that my work is where it is today. Nice. Well, as somebody who has, you know, made the the move, the sudden move to LA, you know, and kind of started started your career, you know, knowing that you're going to be in LA, it's the place for you. Here you go. Time to write some scripts and some poems and some fiction and get your name out there. What are the roadblocks that you've faced along the way? Like, what are the obstacles? You know, obviously moving out there, not really ever being there before, not knowing anything, but you know knowing that, okay, you've moved, you're now going to be a writer. What are those roadblocks that you've faced and, and are you, how are you dealing with them or are you still working through them? You know, maybe they become a part of your writing. I think that they do become a part of the writing because my answer to this is the main roadblocks I faced since moving out here is sort of uh, turning into a new person hmm. and letting go of old systems and habits and ways of being that didn't work for me. I do believe that I phoenixed when I moved to LA and I rose from the ashes truly. And that was excruciating, of course. Uh, but I, I do that a lot, to be honest. Um, like, I don't think, I think every three to six months, I'm a different person with the same core. Like I will just, I just change a lot and I change rapidly. And I, used to see that as a roadblock. I'd be like, oh, I can't write right now. Mm -hmm. And I think something that I've learned is there are generative phases 
there are editing phases and there are phases where you are just living your life and you're being asked to grow as a person and the writing grows too. And I didn't used to see that. I used to be like, damn, I haven't written a poem that I liked in months. I guess, I guess it's all over now. There it goes. That last good poem is the last good poem I'll ever write. Like literally, I think that every time and, and I'm sort of coming to this place now where I'm like, it's really important to enjoy my life and like, be present. Uh, I also try to be really kind to myself all the time and be like, Hey man, you don't have to write today. I do usually write almost every day, but, but if I don't, or if I write something that I'm like, I'm not keeping this, I'm not so hard on myself anymore. I don't like sit and look at the page and be like, you must write something great. <laughs> like I used to, which would always be like, of course you're not writing anything good. Like you're putting a, a brick on top of your head and being like, here's all this pressure, like, please write something good. And like, I don't do that anymore. And I think, I think that's the, the thing that's changed the biggest. Also what they said about the sunshine tax is real. Like the sun being around the sun all the time, it's expensive, but like it helps. Yeah. I don't know. Living out in the Pacific Northwest for so long. I do love the rain. <laughs> yeah, that too. I miss that, but <laughs> but it is, I, I like it that you, you know, it is starting over. It is. I love the fact that you said, you know, you moving to LA made you this Phoenix um, because that's so important to get that, that huge life change and to be able to be accepting of yourself on the days where, you know, it's just not going to work for you and know that it's not like a, an end of everything. It's not like, you know, you, there is a tomorrow. Um, I think that's a harder thing to to figure out than like an imposter syndrome or like a writer's block, even like that idea that it, it's okay to write shitty poetry today uh, or not write anything today and that tomorrow it's going to be all right. Like I had a professor who used to tell us if you write a poem a day for, you know, 365 days, hopefully you've got one line from all of those poems that'll get you to the first poem of the next year. And so I think that's like, it's a good way to look at it is it doesn't have to be a bad day just because you didn't write something. You know? Exactly. And my friend Carmen is obsessed with Anne of Green Gables. And she always reminds me of this quote in it, which is tomorrow is fresh with no mistakes in it. Mm. Yeah. And so tomorrow can always be fresh. If you're tired, if you're tired, go to sleep <laughs> or, you know, watch TV or play a game or do something like you don't have what's, to write that today. Well, yeah. And what's the purpose of getting angry at yourself for not being able to write something that day or not being able to craft the next great, you know, poem or whatever, like, yeah, go to bed. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's better than staring, you know, the uh, Nikonar Para, um, you know, has had a line in a poem called young poets. This has improved the blank page. Um, and the poem talks about the idea of how, you know, so much so much blood or ink has you know run through these pages over the years if the only thing you do that day is improve the blank page then you've done what you need to do i've got that that tattooed on my fingers over here to remind like it's you know it's just that nice reminder that as long as there's something there you know that you feel is an improvement over nothing um, yes then you've definitely done your job yes and we do this not for glory or publications or money. We do this because we love it. Wait, wait a second. You don't write poetry for money? Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, I know that it's That's such not a the main goal of, of poetry for you yeah. is, is making millions? I know that I'm uncommon. <laughs> I know that I'm rare. Uh, but no, I don't do it for money. <laughs> well, Sophia, that is not, that is, you need to, you need to change that. It's time to just chase that money. 
yeah, I better chase that bag, that really big poetry bag that we're all getting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you know, it's 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 coming. I swear the uh, the money is coming down for poetry writers as long as you're willing to switch to fiction as a full time writer. <laughs> Well, hey, man, uh, I actually am. So See, there you go. So it seems like all the poets who start who start heading toward other genres, the money is there. Uh, a good memoir could do really well. Uh, some nice, some nice journalistic outlets uh, and yeah. things like that. It's it is crazy though. I it, thinking about the the poets. There's so many poets turning to things like journalism and other types of writing that are. Um, I, I think. Not that they necessarily see them as a more acceptable form of writing, but it's an interesting switch to see all of the poets start moving in that direction. I like it because it inserts, you know, inserts poetics here and there into different types of writing. So with that said, how much of your poetic language finds its way into your other work? Absolutely everything. I like that answer. Yeah, I... um... Shira, Shira Ehrlichman has this device that she calls peanut butter and pop rocks. Um, because when I say peanut butter and you think I'm going to say jelly, mm. but when I say pop rocks, I've surprised you. Right. And I think that for like, sometimes someone just needs to say something a certain way for it to really click in your brain. Uh, and when Shira said that to me, I was like, oh my God, I understand now. And I tell everybody about it. And when That's I give just- editing feedback, I'm like, well, I also am just always screaming about Shira. Shira, if you're listening, you're a fucking queen. Okay. Um, but also, uh, that goes into my fiction as well. Um, and I think that there's there's something to the poetic voice about how it gives everything sort of a sheen and a shimmer and like a golden hue. And I think I think that I bring all of that warmth. Uh, and even when a poem is sad or devastating, which I have a lot of those um you you still are bringing that in it's like um it's just prevalent in all in all of I mean I guess it depends on the poet but I at least see those things in my poetry voice and I and it definitely goes into my fiction I like that. it's nice I think there's a it's interesting I, you know I've taught I've taught uh, high school and middle school for about 20 years now and seeing what people read like the the era of twilight was always fascinating to me because I don't, you know, I don't love the books, but I get it, but there's not a lot to them. They're very straightforward. It's, um, I, you know, it's the bedroom poetry that I think kind of creates that atmosphere that kind of wrapped people up into a storyline that was meh. Uh, but you've got, you know, you've got books that fascinated people. And I think that kind of some of, you know, as much as I hate it, as much as I hate to think about it, I think that Stephanie Meyer's Twilight generation kind of brought in a, like a run of good poets because I think people really understood, you know, there can be some poetics in, in fiction and what's this pretty language and how can I use it differently? Um, Absolutely. I think also uh, in terms of like poetic fiction, I, I like first names that come to mind are like Arundhati Roy, uh, God of Small Things. If you haven't read it, I think it's just, I think if someone, if, if I had to stand in court and make a case for this being a book of poetry, I think I might be able to do it. Oh, okay. Um, don't bring me to court though, please. Uh, but uh, also Carmen Maria Machado, incredibly, incredibly fucking poetic all the time. Um, 
I think that there's more poetry in fiction than we think. Yeah. Yeah. I think young adult fiction, especially, I think that's where things are starting to live more and more in that young adult fiction world. And it's awesome. I love watching my middle schoolers pick up a random, like a random book on my shelf and open it up and just like, dig into it and it's actually something they want to read versus something i'm just telling them, you gotta read this today like they don't want to do that right so, so as we kind of move toward the finish line here what are you super excited about right now what is what are you reading who are you reading that you're absolutely falling in love with uh what should we be running toward and then where can we find your work and what's coming up for you okay well well we're gonna start with diane seuss um because i'm just fucking absolutely thrilled about diane okay oh frank sometimes i will just sometimes i just dm her and i'm like diane i hope you're having a goddamn beautiful day today because wherever diane is right now i hope that she's having a beautiful time okay because she has done so much for us and not enough people are talking now she didn't win the pulitzer but i still think not enough people are talking about it uh i'm extremely excited about diane um, I also feel this is like a huge compliment to myself. So if somebody wants to like bring me down a notch after this, I feel kindred, I feel a kinship with her work. I think maybe because uh like my family life and childhood was also so fucked up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't know, there's just something about uh like when somebody else has that sort of flavor to them, I'm like, ah, I know what that tastes like. Um so Diane, also my friend Anthony Awero um he has a book out right now called burnt spoon burnt honey um i actually did a reading uh for his book release incredibly excited about it you should get him on here he's fucking incredible uh jason b crawford's book year of the unicorn kids just did a reading for that super excited so good i'm really excited dare williams uh i uh was editing his collection with him um and the world ain't ready it just is not ready. Nobody's ready for this. But also, if you're a press and you're listening to this, you better ask Dare Williams if you can have that book because wow. just slayed me. Um, I'm excited also, like, I think that it wouldn't be me if I didn't say something about community, which is to say I am excited about the community that I'm building in L.A. I'm excited about the community that we build online. I'm excited to know the poets that I know and the fiction writers. I'm excited to know you. Um, and I'm just excited about all of the possibility that we have ahead of us and all of the, the work that I just mentioned, I feel like is part of creating that possibility. And I'm excited for all the things we have to teach each other. It's very cool. You are, uh, you are in a generation of really, really kick-ass poets right now. I know it. This like wonderful pop-up group of like the, we'll say like 22 to 35 year olds right now who are just, I know that's a big age range, but it's like, they're just, there's just something in the air when it comes to poetry right now that just feels so good in the world. And it's, I mean, it's everywhere and it's prevalent and people are reading and noticing. Um, it's a good time to be a poet. So it's a good time to be a writer, uh, you know, given your other genres as well. So that said, what about you? What can we find coming out there from you? What can we see out there now? Uh, what are you excited about yourself? Well, I have a poetry full length under my belt and a fiction full length in the works. The fiction full length is called Adapt. It's uh, adaptations of folk tales, plays, and uh, short stories made to be queer. Oh, cool. I 
I've been doing some queering over here. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited about that. Some of the titles that are in that is The Lady or the Tiger, the uh, play Trifles by Susan Glassbell, uh, King Lear, Bluebeard, The Salmon of Wisdom, The Irish Folktale. Um, it's kind of a smattering Faust, which I'm very passionate about. I have, um, a, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that it's a podcast. Nobody can see me, but I do have a, a an entire full side piece of a Faust poster from the uh, Portland Opera Company. No way! Massive tattooed on my side. Yep, it's a uh, Faust is one of is, is truly one of the like life defining stories. I yeah. Me too, and like I don't really, I couldn't really tell you why. Like no. I care about this man. Like I, I, this man is just. I mean, this man is truly mening. Like this mm-hmm. man is like nothing is good enough for me, so I'm gonna sell my soul to the devil. Like, yeah. it's, it's what one of those good reminder reminder pieces. And yeah, no, that's a that's a powerful. One. I'm really excited to read that. I'm excited to. I'll send it to you. Um, so a couple of presses are sort of looking at it right now. A, a bunch of presses are looking at my poetry full length called Decompose. It's uh, all the poems that I've written that fit the manuscript from 2018 until now. There are some poems in there from when I had teen in my age. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> now, as, as just I know we only have a couple moments, but uh, I've got to ask then, are you the same writer that you were in those poems? And do you feel that they fit? I mean, obviously, you feel like they fit the mold of what you've finished. But do they fit because it goes from like a younger you to a now you? Or does do you find that that voice kind of contradicts who you are now? I wrote in my like uh, description of the book that the tarot card for decompose is the death card. And which the death card is not actually about death. It's about rebirth and, and about phoenixing, so to speak. And I've been doing that my whole life. So there are poems in there from my youth. And largely in my youth, I felt like I was growing and dying all the time. And, you know, part of that is, you know, coming from an abusive home and uh, being queer in a not so queer space. But most of that is just who I am as a person, which is that I, like I said, I am always growing and changing. And so decompose, it sort of doesn't fit. It doesn't try to fit into any particular timeline, except it tries to capture the big moments. I'm so excited. I, I'm genuinely like I am giddy with excitement to read your to read this book. So I'm so excited for whoever, if there's a press out there listening to this for some reason it hasn't been picked up yet, please run out and grab it. <laughs> Thank um, you. Absolutely. I it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I love having you in the poetry question circle. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on TPQ20 today. And I hope you have a great rest of the night. And we're gonna send so many people your direction to read your stuff. Thank you. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Poetry Questions TPQ20. Please like, rate, review, and subscribe. See you next week.